Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome to episode 121. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So today's episode, Otterites, is uh, an Our Heroes. And um, this is an, uh, we, we keep saying this, uh, that... Uh, Francis and I keep squeezing things onto the schedule. One of these days, I'm going to take over that schedule, and we are going to do like two years worth of stuff for me. Yes, we're <laughs> go gonna, right ahead. Go right ahead. Two years of Robert episodes, but this is one um, that I, I put on the schedule uh, as our heroes was Frederick Douglass, and the backstory to wanting to put Douglass on the schedule is uh, we're still fairly recently returned from our very epic road trip to Springfield, Illinois. Right. For the uh, Abraham Lincoln Museum and Presidential Library. And tomb. And the tomb. And it struck me that in their White House diorama for the presidential years of Lincoln that the figures, the I guess they were wax figures or whatever, the figures that were out there in this uh, diorama, of course, were Grant and Sherman, but equal to them was Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. So it really put a kind of a hook that, hey, you know, this is maybe a guy that doesn't pop first to mind when you think of these years, but here he is, and that's a signal he's important. And he really was. This was not just, oh, uh, well, we better find, like, somebody other than these two white generals to put out here. Douglas was very important. That's right. Yeah, this is not very not adding him in after the fact right. or yeah. trying to elevate him to something he was not. He was Didn't much. they have a Harriet Tubman figure as well? Uh, was it Tubman or was it Sojourner Truth that was out there? Sojourner Truth, that's, that's correct. Right. Yes. So I knew there, there was one, but I couldn't remember Yeah, there was one. one more. That, that was the four, you know, wax figures. Yes. In, Before you enter the front door of the yeah. White House, they're actually like on the porch and you can see them life-size. Right. The, one, uh, and it's not to say that black people were kept out of the White House. It was just those are the figures well, that I mean, were in front. There really weren't a whole lot of figures in the White House. Other than Mary Todd herself when you first walk in. That's, right. That's yeah. really it. So it's not like, you know, the, the thing, you know, it, it, there's a separation there intentionally. Yeah, no, it was, it was it was staged as here's someone who was welcome at the White House. Exactly. Right yes. there. Very much so, And yeah. then, you, like you said, you, the next figure was his wife. It was yeah. Mary Todd. And then yeah. the next figure was the cabinet. No. And the cabinet room diorama. So it really fit in. It was so well done. Uh, again, the Lincoln uh, Library Museum, very impressive. Uh, if you're within a day's drive, take it and go see it. It is well worth it. Absolutely. So that also then stirred the memories of the Ken Burns Civil War, yeah. where the thoughts and words of Frederick Douglass played a role. Right. I mean, he used many for that, but Douglass was one of the preeminent voices that was used. Uh, and, it, and, it tra- and it worked so well. I mean, it was not that, you know, that he was not a token by any means. Uh, the, his words were some of the most poignant and well, powerful that Burns yes. selected. And that's well, you know, we've talked about, talk about this in the, in the show prep. Uh, the man really was a towering intellect. Yes. It is astounding the intellect that was born into that environment mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, when you think about the environment that was born into slavery is not just abject poverty for slaves in so many ways, 
but it's especially an intellectual poverty. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to learn to read and write. You know, you're not allowed to learn much of anything. Yeah, other because than, other than your tasks you must perform. That's right. All. Because uh, one of the quotes of Douglas out of the, the book that, that I was reading by David Blight, uh, Pulitzer winning uh, biography, uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I may mangle this, but education is the enemy of slavery. Yes. I, slave owners who attempted to teach slaves anything, even just rudimentary reading and writing, were often outcast by their peers and neighbors. Right. And said, no, 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 you can't do that. Right. They're Which going is a, to learn there's a world outside of picking cotton or yep. cleaning the house, or, and then we can't have that. Exactly. It's a tacit admission, even though they don't either don't realize it or don't like to admit it, that you're subjugating other men unjustly. Right. Because yep. if you treat them like yourself, it's impossible to keep them slaves. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a if, you know I like that we've already got like enormous meaning five minutes in. <laughs> well done, right. Robert. That's well right. that's well right. done. Oh my goodness. So well, if you're unfamiliar Otterites, and I, I can't imagine Otterites would be unfamiliar with Frederick Douglass, it just doesn't that's just not a picture I have. But Douglas was born a slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mid-Atlantic area, uh, Maryland, I think, yes. is primarily where he uh, grew up. Um, but it would come to be not just educated, but a real intellectual force in the 1850s, 60s, and beyond. Yeah, uh, wrote three autobiographies. Mm-hmm. Um, let me get the right names here, so I've got them pulled up. Um, Narrative Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, from 1845, My Bondage and My Freedom, from 1855, and Life of Times of Frederick Douglass, first published in 1881, uh, and then revised several times. He kind of kept tinkering with that last biography. All of these are obviously in the public domain, so they are freely available. Uh, So, for instance, I found my three copies, which I have yet to to dive into, because... uh, they're written in the style of the 19th century, which means they are not quick reads. No. Right. Yeah. Uh, they would be very much a Melville, right. uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, you're hip deep in language. Exactly. Run on sentences almost kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, when right. you know, your, your first sentence is like three paragraphs long, you know you're in for a long ride. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what his was, but it, it's, it's deep, thick, meaty yeah. prose. And, but, you know, I found them on Apple Books. And so they're freely available, free, absolutely, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you can find them on Kindle uh, yeah. as free copies That's as well. Quite uh, Google Books, if nothing else. Yeah, quite the boon to scholarship. Yes, I'm sure. So, and again, not just a writer, but an orator. Uh, One of the most in-demand speakers of his time. Yes, toured all over the United States. Uh, Which, of course, first the North, but, the North, yes, but yeah. uh, eventually when even it was out safe. west, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, you know, even the story of him uh, escaping to freedom is is just so incredible. He just kind of hopped on a train in Baltimore and rode till he was in New York. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, there's a lot of things that worked out to history's advantage. Yeah. Being born where he was and when he was. So he's born in the northernmost state of slavery. So. You know, Maryland is a slave state. It doesn't leave the Union, partially because 
you know, Lincoln makes sure that doesn't happen. Uh, it's just habeas corpus. <coughs> yeah, <coughs> yeah, pretty much <coughs> jails the entire legislature of Maryland so that uh, they can't secede. Right. Because he couldn't let them secede because then the capital of the United States would be in Confederate territory. Be, right. Yeah, surrounded by enemies. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. practicality takes precedence over all other concerns. Right. So, you know, that that's one it's it's one technically illegal thing we are certainly willing to forgive uh, Lincoln for doing. Uh, because that would have been a horrible, horrible thing to have to do. Oh yes, dogs and cats living together, mass, mass hysteria. hysteria. Yes, um, but being Maryland, it was a much more had much more of a northern flavor than even Virginia, just south to it. Yes, it wasn't exactly entirely a northern state, but it wasn't entirely an agrarian state either. Baltimore, especially was yeah. an international trade port. Right. It was a shipbuilding port. It was one of the biggest. Yeah. Uh, lots of, in, lots of industry there as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of abolitionist um, thinking that's a lot more prevalent there than there would have been just one state to the south. And I think that's a very it, lucky it, circumstance. It's, yeah, it's more tied in the rail network. It's yes. more tied in the communication network to northern states. Uh, than Virginia or North Carolina would have been. Exactly. So, so it, it really it enabled him to get away a lot easier than it might have. You know, if he, if he were coming out of Georgia, probably wouldn't have made it. it it's too far to go. Yeah. It's too far to go. But like uh, you said, you just hop on a train and, you you know, you stay on it until New York. It's easy. Yeah. And, and it was one day. And, you know, you get, from what I was reading in Blight's book, because uh, he talks about this, you know, there's, you know, blacks going around... You know, slaves going from one location to another. I mean, his own mother used to walk 12 miles to come see him. And she'd get in trouble for that. You know, when you think of the miniseries Roots, which we all grew up with, you know, oh, our, yeah. our, it was uh, a major, late, major late thing when we were, yeah, kids. That's not conceivable from what is portrayed there. And it's not that either one is wrong, it's just different parts of the country. And slavery was handled differently, apparently. So it was much easier for him to, to get on that train, and I, you know, we are obviously we have well benefited for him being born in Maryland. Uh, you know, he uh, not to take over where you're going with this, but mm -hmm. one of the other things that was great about where he was is that uh, the the his owner uh, lent him out, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. to this family in Maryland in, in Baltimore, and the woman who was the the, the matriarch of the house. She treated him much like her own son, and he basically grew up with her son. They were they were good friends, and you know it's one of those things where farther south, nearly impossible for this to happen. She taught him the basics of reading, and then he took it on from there. And you know once once you're taught your ABCs and your numbers and what all the, the, the sounds the letters make, if you work at it, you can figure out the rest on your own. Uh, and that's pretty much what he what he has done, and without her, it would have been a much harder way to go for him. And so again, you open up literature, reading, and you expand the mind exponentially. And his was definitely ripe for it. It was a lot of mind to expand into. He's he's a towering intellect. I really can't say enough about that. Yeah, yeah. So you brought up uh, your your book here in. Uh, all right, so as you know, we, Snakes and Otters were all about grabbing the books and knowing what you're talking about oh, yeah. because it's been written. It's out there. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, this is Frederick Douglass yep. by David W. Blight. Yeah, Prophet of Free- Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, which absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, great subtitle. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, biography. However, even though you're only uh, into it just a touch, you're a little unsatisfied with it. I am. You know, I hate to speak ill of of any author who, who's put together a good book, because the book is not bad. Right. But in many ways, it seems to be uh, a fawning... Uh, Martin, as you put it's just a blatant hagiography yeah. of, of, of Douglas. And it's not that I think he should have been negative about Douglas, but I think it's such a, a uh, flowery, uh, fangirl kind of biography. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's my problem with it. Yeah, I think he could have done just as good of a job with the facts. I mean, let's face it; they're all known. It's not like this is new territory. Again, there's a ton of available research. The their biographies are in the public domain, so there's there's tons of research. Right. The texts of speeches are out there. Uh, his interactions with Lincoln and with other yes. figures. There's lots of primary source material. There's, there's for, things for that could be well, right. dug Yeah, into. so a biography itself, but the kind of definition, it's all about the whim or the tone or the approach of the biographer to take all that data right. and make it into some in a, in a new, fresh manner. Some kind of compelling narrative That's uh, right. of some yes. kind. And to me, the book, while having some really great stuff in there, especially these first few chapters that I read sequentially, uh, were just a little difficult to get through because there was just so much praise and glory, for lack of a better word. I mean, it was, and, and again, it's not that what he was saying about Douglas was untrue. Right. It was just so ever effervescent in its praise, fawning, fawningness yeah. that it was just it was offsetting to me. It was just very off-putting in the read. We prefer uh, a little bit more. Uh, Neutrality in our biographies is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's fair because, yeah. and you know, I haven't read all of it because right. uh, I start skipping around. Right, you you said that you're not very far into it, but it, this really hit you right off the jump. Yeah, that it just seemed way too sycophantic. Right, so I started jumping oh, around. I love that word. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah, that's a great word. we bow to you. That's that's that you nailed as, as usual. Martin has nailed it in one word that we've been circling the drain for what ten minutes. Uh, that's exactly it. That's we, the problem. We love our ten dollar words here at Snakes oh, yes. Well, they're worth they're worth every penny. Absolutely. So yeah, so it, it very it almost is sycophantic in some ways. As we talked about, it's almost like a virtue signaling of and uh, uh, writing. You know, saying you know, hey, look at me. I'm I'm really praiseworthy of this guy over here. Maybe you should consider me for awards. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if that's what the guy's doing. I don't want to put those motivations into him yes. because right. maybe yeah. he writes all of his books like this. Yeah, uh, yeah. We don't want to jump into impugning his motivations at seeking right. a prize because he's done a good job with the book. So the John Brown chapter that I skipped to, really good, uh, really good examination. It's a little bit more concrete, uh, I guess you could put. Okay. The, you know, yeah. there's still a little bit of that. Still a little bit of. Um, uh, over the topness, but not nearly as bad as those early chapters where he's laying out uh, some of the groundwork. This, this is very different in, in approach, uh, I'm guessing here, than say a Ron Chernow would be. Yeah, uh, or David McCullough, David McCullough, uh, Joseph good. Ellis. Yeah. Uh, All those, those are two really, of my favorites. Really wonderful biographers that have done multiple books on different great historical figures. Uh, and themselves won Pulitzer Prizes. Yes. Uh, this is different, though. Yeah, it's just a slightly different tone that, you know, when, you, it, when you're when you expecting somebody like a McCullough, an Ellis, or a Chernow, 
and you you approach this, it's just very very unusual. Or you know the the Lincoln book that yeah. I was reading prior to the Lincoln episode. Uh, you know another book that got high praise. I only got one a Pulitzer, but it was White's you know, book. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of like the standard at the moment. Uh, every every few decades, yeah, every generation will, will have a will have a, a new one that comes yeah. out. And, uh, um, so you know, it's a contemporary book of, or you know, it's not a contemporary book of this, but it's it, it's given the same regard. Right, let's yeah. put it that way. And it's a much more comp- compelling style to me because it's, it's just laying it out in a good narrative form, telling the story, which he's doing. But there's just so much more to it than I think is necessary. So again, it's worth getting. I just want to, you know, if you're if you're like us and you expect your your historical books to be a, a certain way, you might be a little surprised at this. Uh, mm-hmm. So it'll take yeah. a little bit more effort oh, to get. It's some not of those. wrong. It's right. just we were not expecting it. Right. So it is worth reading, but you, you got to know what you're getting into. I mean, 700 pages of content. That's a lot for a biography. Well, because Douglas had so much that's available. So I mean, much available. So yeah. many of these uh, historical characters that we mentioned, you know, primarily from American history, you know, it's only 200 years, you know. You've got the data for a lot of these folks. I mean, yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it's 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 first-person primary, like Ulysses S. Grant. you got his memoirs, for goodness sakes. Douglas wrote three of himself. That's yeah. kind of where a lot of this starts. And then from there, you move forward into what all the other people said. And, you know, there's fruitful ground. Oh, oh absolutely. So absolutely. we're going to have to definitely have you, uh, once you finish, uh, give us a, a more full appraisal once yeah. you get to the end. But, yeah. I mean, Maybe if not on an episode, uh, put that on the blog. A blog would be yes, great. Snakesnotters.com. That's right. Yes. Blog posts. Martin they Mondays. Make a, yeah. And Wabbit Wednesdays and Francis Fridays. That's right. Uh, so... Uh, uh, I have to uh, prod the fellas a little bit. I think we've been three weeks maybe without a yes. Robert Wednesday and two weeks without a Francis Friday. Well, and, and the last post I did, I, I kind of tacked on to Francis Friday. So <laughs> well, that's it was, okay. You know, we, it wasn't even we really just a we just, you know, Inspiration comes yeah. when it comes. And uh, I like to kind of try and pull up with something that maybe we touched on but didn't really go very deep with or... What's going on in the world? You know, uh, yes, you're very good at the what's going on. Yeah, in the world, well, so. you know, and, and I'll, you know, I'll kind of let you give you the peek behind the curtain. I do get the history channels, you know, every day of the day in history, which I'm kind of thinking around that sort of stuff. No wonder and, he's so good at that. He's got to cheat. Well, that's what <laughs> well, I do too because I, I hit the Wikipedia. Uh, yes, this day in history, right? And find interesting things. But sometimes it's just on the ride home from work. It's I'm with uh, Mrs. Martin. I was like, oh, I got to have something today. What do you want me? to... Give me some ideas. Okay, uh, hamburgers. I'm on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's uh, we do what we do. That's right. That's, That's right. right. So back to Douglas, though. Well, yes. Just uh, at some point, uh, you'll have to do a post and give us a more full review. I will. Yes. Of, of David W. Blaine. Again, this is a Yale guy. Um, should be a very capable biographer and writer. Yes, and, and like I said, it's it you know, and it has won multiple prizes, including the Pulitzer. Um, and you, just know, you can't BS sh- your way into all of those prizes without being good. So. Yeah. yeah, So it just goes to show, though, that uh, just because you win a prize doesn't mean you're impressing everybody. Exactly, uh, and you know we do have incredibly high standards here at Snakes and, and Snakes Honors. Honors. Yes, it's, it's a high bar. That's right. Uh, it is. It, it's it's the fifteen foot uh, pole vault bar. Is that's that right. is that a oh no. It, I guess the current record is more like 20 foot, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's closer to 20, yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely higher than 15, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and we do set a high bar, and, you know, we expect, that's because we expect greatness from others. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when we're laying out our dough for it. 
That's right. Because if you bought a biography lately, a uh, full price one's 30 bucks. That's right. You know, I got this at Sam's, so I got this, uh, which retails at $22 because it's the trade paperback size. Yes. Uh, so I got it for like 16 uh-huh. Yep. But, yeah, if I'd gotten the hardcover, 30 bucks easily. And, you know. Ah, uh, but those hardcovers look so good on the do, shelf, gentlemen. They do, but, you know, when you're when you're shopping at Sam's and you see that $15 copy, that's hard to pass well, up. Absolutely, yeah. Especially paperbacks are still good on the shelf. Right? Yeah, they are, because, yeah. you know, uh, they do a really nice job. It, it, it is. It looks just like the hardcover is going sure. to be, you know, it's yeah. not glossy. But it still has the nice-looking spine, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. that's the thing. And the only thing about the trade paperbacks is, when I travel, they often get very beat up. Yes, I loved on it. Um, the, the boy, uh, the male spawn, my copy of Hamilton, and which he liked. Oh, good. He liked quite a bit. He didn't like 1776, but he liked Hamilton. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, he thought 1776 uh, was boring. And that's that's quite the book to take on. Yeah, he did this a couple of years ago. At, at, in grade school. At yeah. 12. Uh, uh, yeah, it would have been 13. in the 8th grade when he yeah. read it. Yeah, age 13. And that's... So, you know, well, 12. He, yeah. Because remember, he's a year ahead. So... Because he skipped kindergarten. Because... I So, so Otto writes, I don't know if I've told this story, but since, since we're I don't on, think so. I don't so, think so. Yeah. I, I love this story about my, my son. He is... He is really, really brilliant. I mean, all my kids are smart. He's he's definitely at the top. Uh, and there's no nothing against either of the other two. And he is, so, so he's in pre-K, you know, because you, now, you know, it's not just enough that you have kindergarten, you're going to have pre-K, yeah. which is just another way to get money out of us parents, in my opinion. Although for many many uh, people who don't have the, the ability to, to care, take care of their kids at home before school, pre-K and kindergarten is actually cheaper than daycare uh, when you send them off to Catholic school. Anyways... So he comes home around Christmas time one day in pre-K, and his response to, to school was, how much longer do I got to go to school? I already know all this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at this, and if we had stayed in the school we were, uh, we'd already, you know, talked to the, the principal and uh, the teachers, and they were going to let him skip a grade. They were going to let him skip kindergarten and go straight into first grade, because, I mean, he was reading when he was in pre-K. Yeah. You know, so, and not just faking it. I mean, he was actually <coughs> reading. And he really was well ahead of kindergarten. He, he did not need it at all. Like, he might have been able to go into second grade. The, the kid was, he just picks things up so well. But yeah, how much longer do I got to go to school? I already know all this stuff. <laughs> well, uh, time to assign him some physics homework. Uh, I'm telling you, he's, you know, I don't know what to do with him sometimes because the things that I, I would love for him to get into, he just he has no interest. Oh yes, the you know, apples may not fall far from the trees, but they certainly are not exactly the same fruit. They yeah exactly, and you know they and the thing is they have fallen from the trees, so that's right. Yeah, you know you, you to, can't force them to be interested in the same things you are. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. So. All right, but anyways, enjoy it when it happens because it does occasionally. Well, oh, this uh, this feels like a good spot for a quick break. And uh, discuss uh, what we're going to be pouring here. We're at Studio M. That's right, 34 uh, of Nakatomi Tower. Yes, relaxing and uh, doing our recordings for uh, this week. Um, so I think I'm going to be pouring a, a glass of Woodford Reserve here shortly. Oh, I love Woodford. You know, it's kind of like the standard in many respects. The one that you can, uh, like they say, drag the phaser through the mud and it still fires every time. <laughs> you were wondering where Star Trek was going to come in, folks. There we go. 
Yeah, I don't think they were wondering. I mean, that's, no. that's, that's, that's using a you know a tire iron to make a crack in the wall there to, to shove some Star Trek content into Frederick Douglass, but... Hey. hey a ruling from the judges will allow it. Will allow it. Will okay, allow it. It's a gift, gentlemen. A gift. Well... Gift, curse, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those gifts that's kind of like the sweater that doesn't fit and it's all itchy. You might want to just put that back in the box. Nah. Or, you know, maybe it's like that ugly Christmas sweater. You know, you don't have to bring it out every time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there is a place for it. You know, there is this a place is for true. This Christmas is true. Uh, so, you know, you're right, though. The Woodford really is, uh, it, it's, for, for us at least, I think it is certainly... One of, if not the top standard yeah. that everything gets judged mm-hmm. by. That's right. It's one of those go-to places. Yeah, you know, I like the double oaked, obviously, because uh, I think it's uh, just adds that that uh, subtle difference in taste and flavor that uh, is so good. I think it's a little bit more smoky uh, than the. Uh, it is. It's got a little bit more depth, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not as clean as the Woodford. You know, there's a difference between mm-hmm. the regular Woodford and the Double Oak. Well, neither, I think it's still very smooth. Neither, absolutely, yeah. that's right. They're, but they're they're definitely, you know, siblings. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not somebody who drinks bourbon, one, why not? Right. Um, two, you know, you may not understand, or if you're just an indiscriminate kind of drinker where you just, you know, slug it back, you may not understand what smooth really means mm-hmm. when we're talking mm-hmm. about... Uh, uh, adult beverages. That sounds so philistine. Just it, throw it back. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, anybody who slugs back a, a, a you know a shot of shot of bourbon really should be shot. Uh, it, it's just good bourbon. Or castigated thoroughly. Or castigated it's, thoroughly. Yes. Very good. You're into this twenty five dollar words business. Here. Yeah. We upped it. It was ten dollar. Now yeah. it's twenty five dollars. Yeah. Ex- excellent turn of phrase there, Martin. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, you know, smoothness really to me is. The key. That is how I judge most of my my bourbons. How smooth is it? How does it go down? The second is where's the what I call the burn. You know, where does it yeah. hit the palate? Is it in the nose? Is it because uh, the first time I had one, I don't remember which one it was that that hit in that nasal area first was a surprise because mostly they're in the throat or down the the esophagus yeah. and the yeah. stomach. And this one, whatever that one was, and there's been a couple now that we've encountered that have had that, and that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like how. Even though it's it's all bourbon, it's so very different. It, to me, it's just fascinating how this uh, America's spirit uh, can be so different uh, you know, across. You raise a good point because when we drink bourbon here on the show, we drink it for the moment. We drink it for the effects of what we have at the moment, not what it does to us later. True. Yes, and that's a and that's a, and that's a fair, very important distinction. We are very much sensualists. Oh, yes. So thank you, Dr. Leonard Ooh. McCoy. You're exactly right. You bet your ass, Spock. That's right. Yes. Uh, there, there's like a, uh, what is it? Um, there's like a Greek philosophical school about that kind of thing. Yes. Epicureans. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. ding. We have well, a winner. Thank, thank you for my uh, wonderful... Uh, Background and uh, philosophy from uh, Bellarmine and St. Minor. Yes, that's, that's, that's that right exactly. Out. We are Epicureans when it comes to our bourbon. Yes. yes. Benefits of a classical education. Yes, I see. I, I was going to allow you that one. I could have gone there. Uh, the Hans, but I we'll let you do to. that. All right. Well, that's very good. I guess that's going to be unanimous then. It's, uh, it's uh, Woodford all around. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we could sit and talk men's fashions all day long, but we have other things to do. Yeah. Yes. So. Back to Frederick Douglass. Back to Frederick So. You know, I talked about this on the, uh, one of the. There are a couple of things that I wanted to bring. In. I'm sure we all have points that we want to talk about. So, 
um, since it's our heroes, I think it's appropriate. You know, we, we talk about the, the things that strike us about. Yes, I mean, what gives this person meaning uh, to our lives? Why is he worth examining yes. and adopting into our fabric? Exactly. So, two of the incidents, and I'll do one, you know, we can, we can go around and, and talk about this, obviously. Oops, sorry, sorry. Forgot that my Silence. Was on. Silence. Silence. Silence, is good. Silence must fall. <clears throat> All right, so, you can tell we're not big editors. No, we are not. Well, once these are in the can, we run with them. Yeah, there's only one thing we will edit out, and, and <laughs> you know, phones ringing is not one of, is not no, that no, one no. thing. No, please go ahead. Robert. So, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but you know, this towering intellect uh, that it, to me fascinates me uh, because of what it was born out of—the uh, most unlikely infertile ground—and this this towering intellect grows like. Jack's beanstalk, you know, it is just, it's amazing uh, that he was able to nurture it and grow it into what it became. And the beginning of that intellect, because it's not just the the fact that he was a great orator or a writer, because that's part of it. He's very much about the words. uh, And he's very much about what that does for his people, you know, because that's that's his tool. Mm -hmm. That's his, it's his tool. But this incident when he's very young, where he sees the old master basically abused, not sexually abused, uh, it's not the way the description comes off in the book, but literally beating this girl uh, in, in the kitchen one evening. And it, it either this is his projection onto what he saw as an eight, year, eight or ten year old uh, from later in life, you know, giving meaning to what he saw, but it's still, it stuck with him yeah. that... It was it crystallized what it meant to be owned by somebody else, mm-hmm. and that to me is just very striking. That 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 one thing, uh, had he never seen that, does it change history? That's how formative it seems to yes. have been for him, and I, that's just so striking to me. The self awareness, uh, even at such a young age, and. Partially, I'm sure that's because I have no concept of what it means to be a slave. I'm sure every slave was self-aware uh, from the time that they were old enough to be told what to do. I mean, every child is told what to do. But I'm sure when you're a slave, being told what to do has a lot different meaning. Absolutely. Uh, so, But that really seemed to crystallize uh, the, the ownership aspect yeah. of it. There's yeah. one thing, you know, you're, we're all subject to, to the whims of others to a certain degree. Uh, when you're a slave, obviously, too, it's a, it's a much larger degree. But that one moment seemed to crystallize it. And that seems to be what set him down the road of, i got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. The inherent, unambiguet, unambiguosity of exactly, of the nature, of the nature of the institution that he was uh, in, inside, victim of, uh, whatever you want to call that, uh, was very very clear to him, and but that's that's a reflection also of his intellect even at that age. Exactly, he saw things and like so many visionaries, because every slave saw probably things, saw, yeah, one version or another of that same incident, and yet he took it and did something very different with it. Exactly because of who he was. Exactly, that's exactly the point. It you know he saw something that every slave saw, but it sparked something in him that almost none of the others got, or at least. Almost no one else was able to act on. Well, in many respects, he is a Moses figure. Oh, absolutely, uh, and he he's is. not the only one. There are many. No, obviously, but uh, there are he, he's yeah, but he he is a preeminent one 
and and the and it was I loved how you mentioned that it's his words that's what he used. That was his talent. That was his you know God given gifts. But wow. Yeah, you've got to have the intellect to use the words, yes. I mean, and that and that kind of and that was that was if that's your moment, mine is very very similar, but it's more of a broad one. It's the influence that he had with Lincoln in particular, mm-hmm. and I do not want to paint Douglas only in relationship to Lincoln by by no means, but the two of them together made an amazing force for change, because as we've discussed in the Lincoln episode. Lincoln was, he was certainly not pro-slavery by any means. He was against at the time, but he was not he an abolitionist. He was abol- pro-union. Pro-union. That's he, the main thing. Uh, but he was not an abolitionist when he, in 1860, when he was elected. Um, he, he was against... He his, was not a political abolitionist. That's correct. I, that's I right. think, but I think you have to say that he was an abolitionist because, as we talked about uh, in the Lincoln uh, uh, episode, it was something that he came to definitely. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he was definitely against the institution of slavery. Right. But he didn't politically, think it was, he was not an abolitionist because he didn't think it was possible at yeah, the time. It, yeah, it, he thought he didn't it was, see a way to do it without destroying the Union. Well, uh, that's uh, right, and that's of course where he, it ends up going. But it's Frederick Douglass more than any other person. Once he is president, Lincoln is president, right. that he basically tells him, he says, "You." got to be able to take a stronger stance on this. And it's not for political reasons because it's the right thing to do. Right. And Lincoln knew it was and the right Lincoln, thing And Lincoln to do. did. It yeah. was kind of like, uh, you know, Douglas had to explain to him that not only is this the right thing to do, it's the possible thing to do. Well, I think that's yes. the thing, the possible yeah, thing. Yes, that's right. I, I really... he, he, he appealed to that political animal that Lincoln was so much of and said, you know, not only can you do this, it's the right thing to do politically. Because, you know, right. the die, you know, come on, Caesar, Douglas, the die has been cast. Yes, Douglas helped Lincoln understand that if you do the right thing, you can make the politics follow. That's exactly right. And that's and, leadership, boys. That's leadership oh, on both their parts. Well said. So, that's yeah. exactly it. Well said. When you, I, I, all advances I, are like that. You know, you do the right thing and the politics follow. Now, sometimes the politics follow so closely that it is. it looks like the politics are leading, but it's not. So you look at all the civil rights advances. Yeah. Um, the right thing has been done, and it often has to be implemented with a political will. But when we say the politics will follow, we mean the grassroots. That's correct. You know, and the society will change to conform to what we have said. This is the right thing. Exactly, and that's therein lies the potential power inherent in democracy itself. Well, and, and it's and because words. the people want to be led into doing the right thing. Okay, Loki. That's right. Oh, very good, very good. Well, I mean, you know, not to put a negative spin on that, but, you know, yeah. that's one of the things that Loki says. Uh, people, mankind, wants to be led. They want yeah. to have a, a strong leader. Well, that's he the beauty. He's not wrong. He's right. not wrong. That's right. He's just... But he's he's he right has, about what's... He has the wrong destination in mind. Yes. We want true. to be led to fulfillment and liberty. Yes, we want to be led to greater glory, not greater enslavement. Right, exactly. So it's very good. I has, that, that you pulled that one right out your ass there, I, well, but it was know, it's a very fertile ass. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect because I, I didn't expect that one. That's for sure. But but you're exactly right because you hear about things all the time. Well, we have to change hearts first before we change the law. That's exactly the wrong approach. Exactly because. You you have to well Lincoln, they kind of have to go hand in hand but right. I mean, they're, they're you, not separated you, you know? have to have the political will to make it happen the political capital to survive making it happen 
but you've got to let the politics come along. Because with the you. only way to really change people's hearts over time is at from that center, that red hot center. When you when you're changing what is an obvious moral evil, right? But one that is so ingrained into you know fully Society. half of the country's right uh, mindset as far as. Uh, uh, Blacks are slaves. Their entire way of life, yeah, yeah. is dependent uh, And on even it. the North, you know, they are not, 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 you know, for many they're still subhuman, but they're not slaves. Well, they're still bottom around. Yeah, they are property to be done with as we choose. Well, even in the North, that's not uh, necessarily the, 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 the attitude, but they're, they're right. still not us. Yeah. And so you, you have to set the right and good example, and it takes time. I mean, we're right. still not there fully. You know, some 150 years later. But, you know, it's a slow progression. And at some point you do have to change the law mm-hmm. at the political level to make sure that what is right it has, has, is safeguarded. That's what the law is for. Mm-hmm. To safeguard what is right and true. Not to impose uh, willy-nilly the, the whims of a the dictator. Whims. Well, that's right, yeah. Well, I love, going back to Ken Burns' uh, Civil War, because we've all seen it multiple times, I know. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines in there, and this is Burns himself speaking, you know, because he does narrate some, some of the things. He says, the Civil, and it may have been the first episode, the Civil War itself, at least in law, changed all that. Yes. Slavery. Remember that, that moment when he said that, and I'm thinking... Brilliant! You're exactly exactly right because that's you had to have that happen, uh, and the movie Lincoln s- supports this so very well. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's where you spend all that time on the Thirteenth Amendment, which nobody knows anything about today, and explains. Uh, and Lincoln, so wonderfully played by Daniel Day Lewis, he says, "No, we change it now, 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 while we can, while we have the political capital to do it, because otherwise, if we don't, this we're going to be doing your, it all your over again. Will be passed. That's right." It, it, and, and things will never, they will never knit back together. Yeah. And it goes, you know, that's why he had to have uh, Alexander Stevens and, and the, and uh, Alexander Stevens and all the uh, Confederates basically on a riverboat with Grant uh, kind of, well, we'll talk to you a little bit, but you know, here, 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 have a drink. That's the thing. No, we're not going to, and then Grant pretty well tells him, no, you're not going to keep your slaves. That's, you, did you miss the point here? Yeah. Yeah. Did you miss what we've just done these last four years? The six hundred thousand dead. That's right. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it, which you know lays it out very clearly. Sorry, guys, it really was about slavery. It's not all it was, but it was that. Right. All the flowery stuff about you know states' rights. Well, what state right were they fighting for? There That's was right. one in particular. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The states' rights. Uh, uh, in the words of Michael Alfredo Garibaldi, horse hockey. <laughs> Love that one myself. So in. What strikes me about the effectiveness of Douglas as a leader is he is a powerful orator, but he uses that oratory in such a way as to convince people to come along. And he also understands at a, at a very fundamental level the nature of his audience, too. Mm-hmm. He understands oh, that yes. being a, a firebrand is great, but you can't insist on purity a, at the very first moment. Right. You know, so much of what we do now in politics is very litmus test, ideological purity, and he was not that. He was a convincer, a persuader. Oh. 
and he knew if he could get part of what he needed, that's at least a good first step. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like in the movie Amadeus. You are passionate, Mozart, but you do not persuade. He was the opposite of that. Yeah. He, well, he was both. He was passionate and... Absolutely. But he, yeah. knew, he knew how he could contr- to control the passion in such a way as to... It was not an all-or-nothing thing right, for him. Persuade. Right. Persuade. It, it was... He directed that passion. If I get a gradual step, okay. That's right. I that keep working. And that was part of... The man, is that that the the influence that he worked he was playing the on long Lincoln game. yes long playing game. a long game that's right and but you know it's an interesting he, thing he he well let me yeah yeah let yeah. me just uh, finish but you know he, he knew that it wouldn't be just enough to liberate slaves he knew then okay to make them fully part of this society then it was going to be, we need to put them in uniform. We need to put the, the black man in mm-hmm. uniform. Because once they have those shiny brass buttons that say U.S., then they will be integrated into our society. So he knew first steps, he knew next steps, and he knew you had to take them one step at a time. You couldn't just jump to the end. Right. And, you know, interesting thing about when he becomes an adult, when he's really working the abolition movement, uh, because he's one of the key figures, uh, obviously. Absolutely. And he is, he's one that is willing to use whatever tool is available. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the other things I found so very fascinating in Blight's book, was the chapter on John Brown. So John Brown, he's obviously the famous abolitionist, who was very involved in the uh, Kansas-Nebraska War, or Kansas... uh, uh, Bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas. Uh, He was very involved in uh, all all kinds of things in the 40s and 50s, and of course culminating in the raid on Harper's Ferry. And he and Douglas were very great... uh, I don't know know that I I want to say friends, but they had a very great relationship. They were... Uh, compatriots, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, Brown stayed with Douglas. Douglas stayed with Brown uh, at various points during the, the, the 1850s. And they were very much of a same <coughs> mind. Slavery must die. And so they were... Uh, and Brown came to... Or, uh, 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 Douglas came to Brown's way of thinking in that, yeah, it's going to be violent. Uh, which I found very interesting. Yeah. Uh, because even though words were his primary tool, he came to realize, uh, largely through his association with uh, John Brown, it seems, that it would be inevitable that it was going to lead to armed conflict. Yeah. And I think he came to this far sooner than uh, most oh, well, yeah, uh, were willing to, to go. it was always avoidable until... Well, yeah. Well, when you are not a slave, yeah. I think it's easy to hope that it's avoidable. Yeah, Absolutely. But when you were a I mean, obviously Douglas was not a slave at this point, but he was one. Uh, when you see what's going on and, and that absolute control, I think he came to realize that, he probably knew this early on, but I think by the time the 1850s are there and, and he's with Brown, he's realized that, you know, no amount of words are going to convince the South to give up their slaves. That's right. And so he was perfectly willing to... To go down that road. And I think he probably thought of that was going to be an armed rebellion, uh, like John Brown wanted to uh, institute. Uh, he thought Brown was a little bit crazy in, in, in what he had 
hoped to, to do. Like Brown, he was literally wanting to start a slave rebellion and start a new country within the South. We even had a constitution drawn up uh, to establish this. Well, that was never going to work either. Well, Spartacus was one of his heroes. Yes. And that has a, that's that whole servile war. He's looking back to that and recognizing, you know, he almost did it. If we just fix a few things, we can make that right. happen. Right. It's almost like socialism. It just hasn't been tried the right way. That's right. It's like, well, no, that's, that's not true either. Yeah. But. And then and with Douglas, then he comes to understand, okay... Yes, we, there's probably going to be something violent here, but at the same time, there has to be some meaning in law Yes, to, to eventually effective, uh, to eventually affect the change we want to see. He's fighting the same war on a different battlefield. And, right. and, and on weapons. a higher plane. That's well, so. yeah, because I think, uh, and again, uh, this is a little bit conjecture on my part from what I have read. I think what Douglas realizes, even even though it will take violence, the violence has to be guaranteed by the rule of law, ultimately. Yes. Because the law has enslaved the black man, the law must also free him. Right. It has to guarantee his freedom. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Yes. Because as we see after Reconstruction, you know, it largely was meaningless because it was no longer enforced in the South the way it should have been. And, you know, I think that's a prime example of how we failed... Uh, the legacy of the Civil War in the South is that, you know, not that Reconstruction should have gone on and on in an unending thing, but when the North finally got tired of occupying the South, we basically left them to their own devices, thinking, well, they're reconstructed, they're fine now. No, yeah, no, no. Uh, a lot of blacks are still in the South. They weren't exactly returned to slavery, but they weren't exactly free anymore either. Uh, you know, they're they're politically still, nullified. Yeah, politically yeah. nullified. And, and once you politically nullify them, it is much easier to subjugate them yeah, in other ways. Just in other ways, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I think Douglas realized that the law has to guarantee the freedom uh, that the arms will win for you. Yes. And that, of course, ultimately it means amended constitution. Yes. That's where. That's where. Yeah. Right. So which is it, something by 1865, Lincoln understands very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it's again, you know, without the one, the other is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that. Well, just because uh, you've outlawed slavery doesn't necessarily mean that they're citizens and can vote now, does it? Well, yeah, actually it should. It should. (laughs) Because are they not men? Well, that's part of the problem. They were not seen as men. So you had... We are Devo. That's right. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. sorry. All right. A very strange rabbit hole you've struck us down there, Martinez. Oh, I applaud you, sir. Sometimes things just have to get out or they'll make my head hurt. Oh, are we oh, not excellent. men? We are Devo. Oh, awesome! Oh, so love it, love it, love any reference to '80s alternative music, man. That's awesome. Oh my goodness! Well, fellas, it's been a tremendous episode. Yes, we've whipped it good, have we not? Oh, but, ooh, <laughs> phrasing. That's right, phrasing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's bad, bad phrasing. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we, we pummeled that expired equine, maybe. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, I, this is great because we again we touched on the oratory, the skills with words, and how important that is. And you know, in his career, you know, we've only talked just up to the Civil War. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we're forty six minutes into this, but uh, you know, there's really a lot more. And he keeps uh, because again, he keeps touring, uh, he keeps talking, uh, speech after speech, all throughout the Reconstruction period, uh, and again keeps writing the the final biography again, not released until the eighteen eighties. Um, but just a, a leader 
and someone who knew how to affect political change. Again, this in Lincoln's ear, helping Lincoln understand that it's not going to be enough to preserve the Union. You have to preserve it for a purpose. And also at the same time, that just freeing the slaves without preserving the Union also accomplishes nothing. So he helps Lincoln realize the two goals are intertwined. Yeah. And uh, again, this um, really amazing, terrific leadership, very worthy of study and emulation. Long lived, too. He's on the world stage for decades upon decades. Yes. And that, that helps solidify and the, the concrete of yeah. his ideas. It's amazing the man was never assassinated. You know, I mean, it, it, it really is. You know, when you think about where what he I mean he traveled freely in the north obviously he didn't travel freely in the south because he would have been picked up immediately or shot definitely uh, but he, he traveled in Europe uh, and and all across the US yeah and just uh, this influential leader and speaker he was for there decades. at the uh, unveiling of that uh, statue which has come into recent uh, uh, criticism uh, where Lincoln has, you know, he's standing above the, the slave who has been freed. Yeah. Uh, he actually uh, did a big speech at the unveiling of that. Uh, uh, it was done at the American Centennial. Uh, so it was, you know, it was part of that celebration of the hundred years. And also the, uh, you know, 10 years after the, the Civil War. And it's the speech he gave at that, uh, Blight goes over it and, and actually pretty well. Again, a little flowery, but uh, he's, he, was all, he was very much a firebrand. And yeah, he talked about it in that speech. You know, yeah, we've come very far. We still have a long way to go. There's a long way to go. Right. And it was, just, it was, it sounded almost modern. It almost saw, sounded like it was written, written or spoken by somebody who was a civil rights activist today. And to me, right. that that was fascinating. Well, yeah, because he is in many respects the model for all that. He is, but it's just you know, just how modern he sounded to our ears. In many ways, it shows not much has changed, but obviously so much has changed. Right. But the struggle is still uh, traced very much back to yeah. him. Right. Yeah. It was his ideas that Dr. King and so many others brought forward into the next century. He helps exemplify that it's a universal struggle. Yes. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's and correct. You know, I think one of the things that... The articulation may change, but this, the, the principles themselves... They are, are timeless. Are timeless. And to me, that's one of the things that uh, uh, I really like about him is, is you know, that timelessness of, of his message. Because obviously, to us, it seems obvious because we did not grow up with, with slaves. You know, the, I, all of us, I think, would have looked at anybody. Well, they're just people. Right. You know, I mean, that that's, has always been the way I remember thinking about anybody who, looked, who has looked different. Because it's just not been my mental... Frame of mind. Well, I think that's uh, generational too. It's generational. We're probably that first generation where that started to take hold. Well, because we're post Civil Rights Act. We are. Yes, that we were born right at that time. He appeals to me also because he is largely self-made. Now, obviously, he has help along the way. Yes. Well, Uh, you're exactly right on that because he should not have been able to do what he did. His future wife, who was already in the North, sent money to help him with the train ride and. And so there, there were people who well, did help that, along the way. Well, there's that. Uh, there's uh, the uh, the woman uh, Mrs. Ald uh, that yeah. uh, teaches him to write. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of these people helped shape him along the way, but the bulk of the work is started and continued and comes to fruition on his own. It's up because to him. there were no other options for him other it, than self 
That's education. right. There's no institution that he can go to that will right. give him what yeah. he eventually finds on his own. Lincoln, uh, ironically, of course, was kind of the same way. Exactly. Although his, he did it this, his own way, the institutions were open to him. They were. Uh, because he of race. Although, but because of uh, economics, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Well, even if he had the money, I think he probably would have been barred, not barred, but not accepted in a lot of the institutions. Because he was not, he didn't ha- he did not have the formal education yeah, he didn't have the from pedigree. the beginning. That's right. So, or the pedigree. Pedigree is also very important back right. then. I mean, yes. it still is. Yeah. But yeah, that that self-madeness is is to me is phenomenal because of the context. That's right. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous. All right, fellas, that's pretty nice. Pretty nice job. Oh, actually, you know, we almost need like three more episodes to to, to really cover him. Yeah, to really uh, to yeah. give a full biography of the man. It's just it's just yeah, not possible. Yeah, you know, you know, I do recommend the the book by Blight. Yeah. Uh, with reservations, with some reservations out over the language, uh, but again, uh, I will endeavor. It, you know, I'll probably have to do a series of, of blog posts yeah. to really do this justice. As you slog through it, you know, just plop them, plop one in. Yeah, I need. I really do. I need to start taking some notes to. That would be to, helpful. Yeah, because that make make it a series because it's Douglas is so big, exactly, and so important. And that you know, to do he, him does, justice. he obviously does not get the the attention. There's not been a movie made about Douglas, but my God, what a movie! Yeah, it could be yeah. a tremendously compelling. Could be tremendous. Story. Yeah. I mean, if you can make a movie out of Team of Rivals, which yeah. is essentially what Lincoln is. That's right. Yeah. Surely you can make a movie out of Douglas's life. Yeah, I would think so too. So we will be checking back in with you. Absolutely. Oh my God, I've got homework. Life. <laughs> Robert's coming out of this episode with homework. Francis, buddy, what is next time? Pop culture again, guys. Woo-hoo. Which we always love that. Hey, it's back to our next installment, third edition, as it were, of those movies we always have to watch. Uh, those ones, as the as it says, where when we run into these on television, everything stops, you sit your butt down, and you finish it, no matter where you started off on it. So you know it so well, and yet you keep going back to it over and over and over again. Movies that are worth re-watching, We love them. We know you're going to love them, too. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.